Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. All right. Well, we're in a series about angels and demons. And uh, we're doing this series because we want to be biblically informed about angels and demons. If this is your first uh, week with us during this series, I want to invite you to go back and listen to the two previous ones. I've talked in more detail why we're doing this series. We've talked more in detail uh, why it's necessary to do this series. But I do want to mention that one of the big reasons is that we want to be biblically informed. There's a lot of beliefs about angels and demons that are just not biblical. But the other thing is that we are doing this series because we want to be able to fight the good fight of faith. There is a spiritual world and there is a spiritual battle in this world. And if we are not informed properly, we will not be able to fight this spiritual battle. Look at what Ephesians 6, 12 tells us. This has been the key verse of our series. If you have your bulletin, you can open it. Inside, there's an outline that you can use to follow along with me. And look at what Paul says. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And I've told you before that your argument, your problems with your spouse are not with your spouse. That there are forces, that there are celestial beings behind that are pushing these problems. We're going to look in more detail about that today. The issues that we have in society are not with people of different races or different political parties. There is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual authorities that are operating behind the curtains. And that's what Paul says. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Look at what he says. But against evil rulers and authorities of what? The unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. In week one of this series, we laid a foundation for this uh, series about angels and demons. And last Sunday, we talked about the ministry of angels. We talked about the first type of celestial beings. And we saw that there's different types and categories and that angels are for us. They are God's secret agents to come and assist and help us. And that if you're a believer, you at the very least have one guardian angel, if not more than one. So what I want to do today, today I want us to look at the not so good celestial beings and I want to start with the most popular one and today I want to talk to you about the origin about the fall and about the work of Satan and if you're saying pastor we're going to talk about Satan in church yes and here's why I don't know if you know this uh only 61 percent of people in America believe that there is a devil only 61 percent in fact It is said that 
one of the greatest achievements of the enemy is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. And I don't know if you know this, but apart from God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, the one character that the Bible talks the most about is the enemy of your soul. It's Satan. It's Lucifer himself. And the Bible clearly speaks about a supernatural being that opposes God and opposes his plans and opposes his work and opposes your life. In fact, look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8 right there in your outline. He says, stay alert. Would you tell the person next to you that's falling asleep, tell them, stay alert. Stay alert to what? Look at this. Watch out. For your, listen to this, this is important, great enemy. Listen to me. Next week, we're going to talk about the other enemies. Because you got more than one enemy. But today we're going to talk about the, your great enemy. The one that opposes us the most. And he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy. And it tells us who in case, right? The devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, here's one of the things that I love about the Bible. In this passage, the enemy is illustrated as a lion, right? A lion that is looking to devour the weak, the distracted. But our Lord is also illustrated by a lion, right? So here's what Paul is, what Peter is telling us. He's telling us, you got to stay alert. You got to stay alert. Now, how do you stay alert? By looking for spirits and demons behind every bush, behind every crack in your house, behind every weird noise? No, that's not how you stay alert. The way you stay alert is by knowing who he is, how he is, and what he does. The way you can stay alert so that you don't become easy prey to the enemy is by knowing who he is, what he does, and how he does it. And that's exactly what I want to do today. I want to look at five realities about who your great enemy is, how he is, what he does, and also what his future is going to be like. Are you ready with me? Now, I really wish, I really wish I had made this series like an eight-week series because I would have loved to, to have spent just one Sunday talking about that encount, that first appearance of Satan in the Garden of Eden, right? Because the first time that we see the enemy is in the Garden of Eden as a serpent. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but what do you mean there was this serpent talking to Eve? Did all animals talk or was it just a serpent? And if it was just a serpent, then why wasn't Eve freaked? I mean, you, a lot of you guys got pets. Wouldn't it freak you if one day you walked in and your dog said, so did God really say that? <laughs> you would run out of your house and call me or one of the pastors. Right? Little princess went evil on you. 
So I would have loved to have taken more time, but perhaps we'll revisit the series at another time. But so I want to give you just because the other thing is that I also didn't want to spend too much time on Satan. You know, I don't want to give him more platform than he deserves. So today we're going to do a very basic overview of who he is, how he is, how he operates and what his future is. So let's begin with the first one. And by the way, they all start with A so that it's easier for you to remember. We're going to look at five things, and they all start with A. Number one, let's look at Satan's assignment. Before he became who we know him as today, who was he? How was he? What was his his beginning like? Well, in Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel pronounces a judgment upon a human ruler, a Phoenician ruler. And he's talking about an evil king. But in verse 11, Ezekiel begins to look past this human evil ruler and begins to talk about the power, the evil power behind the power. And he begins to talk about Satan. And look at what he says in verse 11. It says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. And here, he's not just talking about a human prince, but he's talking about our great enemy. And how do we know he's talking about our great enemy? Well, because he's going to mention some things that, are, that cannot be true about a human person. Let's continue reading and look at what he says. He says, you are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and what? Perfect beauty. You were what? In Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on the day you were created, so we know that Lucifer was created. You, they were prepared. Look at this. You were an anointed guardian cherubim. Last week we spoke about the different types of angels. Right? And we said that the cherubims were in charge of guarding God's throne. So Satan was likely the highest ranking angel in God's creation. He was the signet of perfection, full of wisdom. And he said, verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherubim. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. So he had access to heaven in the midst of the stones of fire, which is another expression for celestial beings. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was what? Found in you. So, a couple of things. Ezekiel tells us that it was God who created Satan. So, does that mean God created evil? No, absolutely not. Satan was created perfect. In fact, that's what the last verse tells us. It says, You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created. When God created him, together with all the other celestial beings, they were created perfect. Now, when 
what Satan created. Well, if we put the pieces of information that we have together, uh, we read that in Job, uh, the Lord tells us that the angels were present at creation. In fact, that they rejoiced as God was uh, making creation. So definitely he was created before creation because not only were celestial beings created before creation, but at creation, we already see him in the Garden of Eden tempting the woman. So Satan was lightly created. A lot of scholars believe between Genesis verse 1 and Genesis verse 2. I don't have time to go into that, but I wish I really could. Ezekiel tells us that he was a cherubim. He had access. He guarded God's throne. In a minute, we're going to see about his apostasy, his fall. And one of the things that Satan said is that I will ascend to the throne of God. And one of the reasons he thought he could do that is because he had access to the throne of God. He tells us, Ezekiel tells us that he was powerful and beautiful. Right? Right? Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible give us the picture of a devil with horns, a pitchfork, and an angry face. Nowhere. Nowhere. The Bible doesn't paint him in that way. In fact, Ezekiel tells us that he was full of wisdom. If Solomon was the wisest man in humanity, apart from Jesus, obviously, then Lucifer was the wisest celestial being amongst all of God's creation in celestial beings. And he was made perfect, verse 15 tells us. So Satan's assignment from the very creation was to govern and rule God's celestial family. As I mentioned, he was likely the highest ranking angel. And we're going to get a little bit more clues as to why we believe that. But he was created to guard and worship God's throne. So Satan's assignment. Now let's look at what happened. If he was created that way, how did he end up the way you and I know him today? Well, the second thing we got to look at is at Satan's apostasy, at Satan's fall, at Satan's rebellion. So his assignment his apostasy, right? Now, Isaiah does something similar to Ezekiel. And Isaiah is talking about a Babylonian king, a Babylonian prince. And just as Ezekiel begins to pronounce judgment upon a human prince, but then moves to, to, to talk about the power behind the power, Isaiah does the same thing. And he tells us, about Satan's rebellion, about Satan's fall. And look at what Isaiah says in verse 14, verse 12. He says, how are you fallen from heaven, O day star? Now, by the way, day star, in Latin, it's the name or the word Lucifer. Lucifer means day star. Satan is a title. Devil is a title, but his name, if you wanted to see it that way, is morning star or shiny one. That's the way Isaiah identifies him. And he says, how are you falling from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations 
low. And here in verse 12, Isaiah tells us about Satan's fall. Now, the question then becomes, why was Satan cast out from heaven? Why, why was he expelled? Why was he thrown out from God's throne? Well, verses 13 and 14 tells us why. And here's what I want you to notice. Isaiah is going to tell us what Satan thought within himself. And Isaiah, Isaiah tells us that Satan says five I wills. Look at the five I wills that, that he says to himself. This is Satan speaking. You said in your heart, in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And we know that stars is another name for angels. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the outmost heights of Mount Saphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So what happened? Corruption was found in Satan's heart. Corruption birthed in his thoughts. And because he had access, he was second to God. He said, you know, why do I have to settle for second when I could be first? And he told himself, five I wills. I will ascend. I will take over. I will do this. I will claim that. I, I, I. Ezekiel 28, 17 gives us a little bit more insight into Satan's sin. And look at what Ezekiel 28, 17 says. It says, your heart was filled with what? Pride. The five eye wheels of Satan, it's pride. What month is this? Pride. Pride is what casted Satan out of heaven. It was pride that, that led him to, to, to go from God created me and he gave me this authority and I have this great privilege that likely no other angel has. But he didn't settle for that. He wanted all. Ezekiel tells us, your heart was filled with pride because of all your what? Beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and what? Exposed you. Now listen to me. Anytime we forget our creator and we decide we know what we want and we decide that we know best, we're not acting any different than Satan. Anytime we say, well, you know that whole marriage thing, God doesn't know what he was talking about. You're acting just like Satan. Well, you know that whole money thing? God doesn't know what he's talking about. I know best. You're acting like Satan. Because Satan forgot that it was God who set the rules and it was God's way and God's way was the best way. Now, Ezekiel, Ezekiel and Isaiah tell us about the result of Satan's rebellion. Right? Because here's the other thing. The popular belief is that Satan brought with himself one-third of all angels. And, and one of the reasons people believe that is because Revelation tells us that the great dragon with his tail swept one-third of the stars. 
And it can't be literal stars. We know that stars is another name for angels because if stars fell to the earth, we know that stars are gases that are probably bigger than the earth. So they would consume the earth. So it's talking about angels. But the book of Revelations is talking about something that is going to happen, not something that has happened. So it is not biblically clear that Satan brought one third of all angels with him in the rebellion. But here's what we do know. He was in charge. He was in charge. So if he was going to rebel against God, he definitely corrupted the hearts and minds of other celestial beings. Because he wasn't going to do it by himself. In fact, we'll talk a little bit more. But, but, but here's the result of what happened. Ezekiel 28, 16 tells us, You sinned, so I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of what? Fire. Here's the thing. Satan thought he had a shot against God. Satan made the foolish assumption that he had a shot. Because if he had really known, and he should have known, that he stood no shot against God, he wouldn't have rebelled. But some pride blinded him, and Satan thought, you know, it might take a while, but I think I could take him on. I got so-and-so, and I got all these celestial beings with me, and I think it's going to be a war, but I'll come up vic victorious at the end. Now, check this out. Jesus tells us that it was no fight whatsoever. Because Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. At the moment that Satan thought and acted on his rebellion, God, down you go. There was no shot. He had no shot whatsoever. Now, when did this rebellion happen? Well, scholars believe likely somewhere between Genesis verse 1 and Genesis verse 2. Because once again, we see him already in the Garden of Eden. So we have Satan's assignment, Satan's apostasy. But here's what you need to know. Although he was cast out from heaven, listen to me, this is why this is important. He did not lose all his authority and power. Let me say that again. Although he's a defeated foe, cast out from the presence of God, he did not lose all his authority and all his power. And the third thing I want us to look at is Satan's authority. What can he do? What is it that Satan can do? If he retains some of his power, what is it that he can do? Well, before I tell you what he can do, okay, because I am concerned that the enemy will use this to create fear in your life. Here's what you need to know. While Satan still has power, please listen to me. Listen to me. Young people, listen to me. This is important. I believe this is the takeaway this morning. While Satan still has power and authority, he is not sovereign. He cannot act as he pleases. He has been casted out from heaven but God still has a leash on him. How do we know this? Well, because Satan has to ask permission. 
Satan has to get God's approval for what he wants to do. Remember Job? Remember the story of Job? What does God tell Job? Hey, you know, they have this whole conversation and Satan is not just accusing Job, he's accusing God. And we're going to look at that in a minute. And he says, well, you know, go ahead and test him, touch him. But God tells him, you must spare his life. And Satan takes everything from Job, but he can't take Job's life because God didn't let him. Remember Jesus, what he tells Peter? He says, Peter, Satan has asked for you. And what what does Jesus say? I pray that your faith will not fail you. In other words, I've given them permission to wreck a little bit of havoc in your life, but I've got you, right? In fact, while Satan has authority, the fact that he's not sovereign and he's still used by God, we see this in Scripture. And this is one of those passages that, if you're not strong in your faith, will confuse you in your walk with the Lord, because there are times that God uses Satan for our benefit. Let me show you two, two verses. 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Look at what Paul says regarding a man who was sinning in the church. He says, hand this man over to who? Who? Oh, jeez. Really? Really, Paul? Hand this man over to Satan? Not, not pray for him? Not anoint him? Look. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of what? The flesh. So that his spirit may be saved on the day of what? The Lord. Here's another one in 1 Timothy 1.20. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to what? Listen, what's going on in these passages? Well, God is carrying out a spiritual good through a physical bad, through an evil enemy. God still uses the enemy for our good. And sometimes he'll let, he'll let him wreak havoc in our life so that we learn and so that we get stronger. Amen. So while the enemy still has power, God has a leash on him because Satan is not sovereign. Right? So where does Satan operate? Where does his power power best at work? Where is his dominion more visible? You ready for this? The Bible tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world. This world is Satan's dominion. He is the Lord. He is the God of this world. Satan is not in hell. See, a lot of people think Satan is in hell, sitting in a throne with a pitchfork, having his demons do what he wants. No, he's here in this world exercising his power. The book of Job tells us that he roams the earth. And 1 Peter tells us that he's looking for people to devour. Now, that doesn't mean, and we'll see that next Sunday, that the times that you may have had an experience with an evil celestial being, that it's Satan himself. Because there's demons and there's fallen angels. But Satan is the ruler of this world. Let me prove that to you. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we belong to God. But the world is under the power of who? 
The devil. Who rules in most companies? The devil. Who rules in most governments? The devil. Who rules in most cities? The devil. That's why I hope you make this connection. Last series, when we were talking about the kingdom, the keys to the kingdom, and we were talking about those things that God gave us so that we can come into places and be able to establish his kingdom. You see the connection? Because the enemy, Satan, is the God of this world. Look at what John 12, 31 says. The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be what? will be cast out. So Satan doesn't have a free hand in the world, but he does have an active hand in the world. He's not free to do whatever he wants because God still over him, but he's very active in this world. God gave Adam and Eve dominion of the world. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they transferred that dominion to Satan. So, is Satan always going to be the ruler of this world? You'll know the answer before you leave today. So, number four, number four. Let's look at Satan's activity. So, he was created a perfect being. He rebelled. He lost his place of authority and privilege, but he still has power. He's the ruler of this world, right? He's operating in this world, but how does he operate? How does Satan operate in this world? Look at what 2 Corinthians 2.11 says. So that Satan will not what? Outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. Hear me out, church. Satan can still mess with you. He can still deceive you. He can still lie to you. And if you do not know his schemes, he'll outsmart you. And you'll get you in trouble. This can happen, does happen, and it happens too much. We need to be familiar with the way he works so that he doesn't outsmart you. That's why we're doing this series. Not because I want you to be afraid of him, but because I want to expose him. So that you don't say, well, it's just a scary movie. <laughs> it's just a bracelet. Yeah, that's what he wants you to believe. Right? Isn't that what he did with Eve in the garden? He created doubt in her. So, what, how does Satan Operate. What kind of activity? What is his activity? What is his work? Let me give you a few things. And I'm going to go by these kind of fast, okay? Number one, Satan wants to devour people. Satan wants to devour people. He doesn't want to mess with you. He wants to devour you. Like they say in Spanish, te quiere chupar hasta el hueso. Down to the bone, he wants to devour you. 1 Peter 5.1, we already read that verse. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a, lorry, like a roaring lion looking for someone to what? To devour. Job 1.7 says, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from what? From roaming through the earth, going back and forth. Now, listen to me, listen to me. 
Remember that the first week we laid a foundation and we said that there's only one God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and omnipresent? Satan is not all-knowing and he's not all-powerful. Satan does not know what's going on in your heart or your mind because he could read your mind and heart. He can guess what you're thinking and what you're feeling because he studies you. But he doesn't know. He can't look into your thoughts, into your heart. He's not all-powerful. So how is it that if he's not all-powerful and all-knowing, he's so effective? Because come on, we got to admit, he's very effective. I'll tell you why. Because while Satan is not all-powerful and all-knowing and not omnipresent, he's he's opportunistic. That's why the Bible says, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give him a creek. Do not give him any slight chance because he will take advantage of any slight opportunity to devour you. Because that's what he wants to do. Listen, God wants to glorify you. The enemy wants to devour you. What is another of his activities? Well, Satan lies and prompts people to lie. Satan lies and prompts people to lie. I, I love something that Pastor Manolo says. I, th- I hope I can remember correctly. If not, help me out, Manolo. He says, the devil couldn't tell the truth with his hand on 10 Bibles. He's a liar. And not only does he lie, but he wants to get you to lie. Parents, one of the most important lessons we can teach our kids is to not lie. Why? Well, look at John eight forty four. For you are the children of your father, the devil. Who's saying this? Jesus. And you love to do what you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with what? His character. For he is a liar. And what? Every lie comes from the devil himself. And listen, not only is everything he utters a lie, but his persona, his appearance is a lie. The devil will hardly appear to you as a scary creature, as an evil creature. He's going to appear to you as an angel of light. He's going to appear to you as a sexy secretary. He's going to appear to you as a muscular, handsome man that somehow captivates you with his eyes because he is a liar. Look look, look at what 2 Corinthians 11, 14 says. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? Light. Right? Satan comes to us and he gives us the fake appearance that it sounds right and it looks right. But that's why we need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. To say, man, this sounds right, this looks right, but it's not right. And if you don't have the discernment of the Holy Spirit, well then, you'll fall. So not only does Satan lie, but he causes people to lie, including Christians. 
Let me give you an example in Acts 5.3. Look at what it says. Then Peter said to Ananias, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourselves. What's going on here? So this couple in the book of Acts, they sold their house because everybody in the book of Acts were selling their stuff and putting it together and they were just expanding the kingdom of God. And this couple sells their house and they, they come in agreement and they said, you know, we're going to tell them that we sold it for a lower price than we actually sold it. So the wife comes and she says, you know, we sold it for this. And as soon as she lies, she dies. And then her husband comes and he says the same lie and he dies too. And the Bible tells us that it was the enemy who prompted him to lie. What is another activity of the enemy? Here's another one. Satan blinds the mind of unbelievers. Satan blinds the mind, and I would add, the heart of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4, look at what it says. Satan, who is the God of this world, look at this, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. The devil hides the beauty and the light of the gospel in those that have not placed their faith in Jesus. Why? Because the best way he can destroy your life is from keeping you from the beauty of the gospel. That's the best way. He opposes. Listen, some of you, you say, you know, pastor, I've been inviting my husband. I've been inviting my daughter. I've been inviting my family members to come and they just won't come. Well, you need to know that the enemy is opposing your efforts. And he's working in the lives of unbelievers to blind them so that they say, ah, church is so boring. Church, all they want is your money. Church is full of fake people. And he blinds them so that they will not see. So that's why when Paul says our fight is not against flesh and blood, it's not about trying to convince your loved one who hasn't accepted Christ to come to church. It's about fighting those forces behind the curtain that are operating in their lives. Listen, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you haven't accepted Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to say this very lovingly and respectfully. You may have your reasons. You may. But I want to tell you that one of those reasons is that the enemy is blinding you to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel. Because if you did, not only would your eternity change, but your life would be radically transformed. Amen? Amen? What's the next activity? Well, the next thing Satan does, and this is the most obvious, most well-known thing that the enemy does, Satan tempts people to sin. Satan tempts people to sin, right? Genesis 3.1, I'm not going to read all the passages because I'm running out of time, but it is the story where the serpent appears to Eve and it says, hey, did God really say not to eat or even touch this fruit? Which, by the way, did God ever say they couldn't touch it? No. He just said, don't eat it. So the enemy tempts you. And, and listen, listen, the enemy hasn't changed his strategy. From the beginning to today, he still tries to tempt you the same way. And in fact, I want to expose him. I want to expose his, scheme, his schemes. How is it that the enemy gets you to sin? By tempting you. 
And how does he do that? Well, let me show you a graph. He begins by getting you to question God. Question God. Did God really say? Can we go to the next slide, guys? He gets you to question God. Because once you question God, then that creates doubt in you. That creates doubt in your heart. Well, does the Bible really say that? Did God really mean that? See, you question and then you doubt. And when you doubt, then you begin to distrust God. And when you've lost trust in God, what do you do? You disobey Him. You disobey Him. That's why some of you, you're doing things that you know you shouldn't do. Because God, the enemy, has gotten you to question, doubt, and distrust God. That's why you're able to live in sin and in disobedience. And listen, every time he tempts you, he wants to take you where he went. To rebellion against God. To rebellion against God. So how do we resist the enemy? Simple. Really, really, really simple. Did you know it's really simple? Jesus showed us. With this, when, the, when he was taken to the desert and tempted by Satan himself, how did God respond? With God's word. It was God's word. Because he's going to get you to question and doubt God. So you respond with God's truth. Now, I know there's some younger people in here. Cover their ears because I need to talk to couples. Okay? That's why we have a kids ministry so that we can have the freedom to talk in here. Couples, listen to me. I want to read to you a verse. And I want you to know that I, that I am being very sensitive, and I, can, and I understand how this can come off, but I want you to trust my love for you as your pastor. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.5. We're talking about how the enemy tempts us. He's talking to couples. If you're not married, this is not for you. The opposite is for you. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy. Listen to this. For what? Limited time. To do what? To lose weight? To go to the gym? Para que se le quite y no me hable así so that he doesn't talk to me that way? So that you can give yourselves more completely to what? So Paul says the only reason you should be abstaining from sex is because you want to devote yourself to deep prayer. And even then, for a little bit, why, why? Was Paul being a machista here and just wanting to enforce that women were an object? No, here's why, here's why. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Couples, hear me out. And I understand, I understand there's health issues. I understand that, that there's valid reasons why sometimes as a couple, you cannot be intimate. I understand that. But if it's just because you got a headache, if it's just because, well, he didn't, he didn't wash the dishes, 
if it's just because, well, she doesn't take care of herself? Let me tell you something. The enemy knows how to use your lack of self-control. And it is devastating to see that the, one of the number one issue that married marriages have is that their intimate life is not healthy or even active. Married couples, not teenagers. If you are not married and you're actively like bunnies, stop it. It's a sin. Married couples, listen to me. My uncle used to say it this way. He said, he used to tell me, Mijo, as a pastor, tell married couples to touch as much as possible. <laughs> and tell non-married couples to not touch at all. So, the, one of the activities of the enemy is to tempt us to sin. And it's sad that today, that is one of the areas where the enemy is wrecking havoc in many marriages, that they, are, that they are denying each other from that responsibility. I don't have time to go here, but earlier in that passage, Paul says, women, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. And guys, your body doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to her. So when she says, go throw out the trash, you're not doing her a favor. Why? Oh, because he's an animal? No, because the devil is an animal. And he'll wreak havoc in your marriage and in your life. Amen? I, I hope you understand that I'm not being exaggerated here, but that it is a topic that needs to be addressed in the church. And I know I've talked mainly to ladies because for the most part, the men have a higher libido than women do. If it's, sometimes it could be the other way around. And if you are married as a man, you're the one that is denying your, your wife from that. I would tell you the same thing I told the ladies. Amen? The next activity. Thank you. I thought I would get more amens from men, but... Tienen miedo. They're scared, right? Just another reason for her to say No. The, no, the next activity, Satan leads people away from a relationship to Christ. What is another activity that does? He leads people away from a relationship uh, from Christ. He wants to keep you from growing in Christ. He wants to keep you from coming to church. He wants to keep you from reading your Bible. He wants to keep you from praying. He wants to keep you from serving because he doesn't want you to grow deeper in a relationship with Christ. Why? Why doesn't the enemy want us to grow deeper in a relationship with Christ? Because the weaker we are in Christ, the easier of a prey we are for him. The closer you are to God, the harder it is for him to touch you and the harder it is for, for you to fall into to his temptations. Second Corinthians 11, 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What is another activity of Satan? Well, Satan removes the word of God from people's heart. Satan opposes the word of God in the hearts of the believer. 
And Mark 4.15, it says, some people are like the seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they heard it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Let me tell you that there is no day that Satan is more active like Sundays. Because he wants to rob God's word from you. And let me tell you, and I say this again respectfully, if you're here and you're distracted on Instagram or Facebook or other stuff, you are letting the enemy rob you of God's promises for your life. Because he wants to take God's promises because if he takes it from you, then it won't be a reality in your life. So he removes the word of God. The next one, Satan persecutes believers. Satan persecutes believers because Satan is the Lord of this world. Let me tell you that the way he persecutes is is by creating laws and institutions that, that persecute and even throw people in jail through laws. He's the Lord of this world. And I I want to tell you this, and I'm not trying to alarm you, but it's only going to get harder for believers because he's going to persecute us more and more and more. And one of the ways that he's going to do it is through the legal system because he is the Lord of this world. That's why if you're like, well, my vote doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. I'm not going to tell you how to vote other than to vote God's values, not your conscience. There are people today in other parts of the world that have died, that are in prison because the enemy has persecuted them. There's scripture there. You can read it. I'm running out of time. They keep giving me that sign to wrap it up. I wish they would do that to the worship team. They let the worship team go 40 minutes if they want me to be done in 30 minutes. Next one. We love the worship team, by the way, but, but you guys take too long. <laughs> Satan fights the spread of the gospel. Satan fights the spread of the gospel. Satan will say, oh, you're too timid. You'll be rejected so that you won't share the gospel. Paul himself, if you'll read it right there, in 1 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, says that he wanted to go visit them, but Satan prevented them. So Satan will keep us busy and do all this stuff to keep us from telling somebody about Jesus, which, by the way, church... We need to remember that our mission is not the American dream. Our mission is not even an ideal family. Our mission is the spread of the gospel. And if you got a wonderful family, which I hope you do, and if you got a nice, beautiful house and a great job, but you are not leading anybody to Christ, you're failing. You're failing. And Satan opposes the spread of the gospel. The next one, Satan accuses believers before God. That's what Satan, Satan means, accuser. He not only accuses God, he accuses you. And in Revelations 12.10, we have a verse where we can know that he's constantly accusing us before the Father. So that's how he operates. And now that you know, you can be better alert. Now, let me give you the last thing, which is the good news. Everything we've said leads us here. And the fifth thing that the Bible tells us about Satan is Satan's abyss. His future. The day is coming. The day is coming where the Lord himself will reign for a thousand years on this earth. 
And at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And during those a thousand years, Satan is going to be bound. His activity is going to cease. But at the end of a thousand years, he's going to be let loose for just a flash, for just a second. And after that, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever. You've ever seen the sandlot? Forever. Forever. Let me read that to you. Revelations 20, 10. It says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they were tormented day and night forever and ever. You know what day and night forever and ever means? Here's what that means. It's over. He's done. You won't deal with him anymore. He won't have any authority, any activity. He won't have any chance because he is already a defeated foe. And the day will come where his rule will really, literally be over. Now, that day hasn't come yet. He's still active in this world. He's still wrecking havoc in schools and jobs and marriages and you. So, so as believers, what do we do? What do we do? Well, let me give you three verses, which need to be your takeaway this morning. And they're all found in the first letter of John. If you, I recommend you to go and read that letter, but look at what 1 John 4, 4 says. He's talking to believers and he says, but you belong to who? To God. I belong to God. I don't belong to the Lord of this world. You belong to God, my dear children. You have already won, what? A victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Yes, he's active out there, but the God that I served is greater than the God of this world. And victory is already mine, and it gets better. Look at what 1 John 5, 18 says. It says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. Right, church? We can't be Christians and keep sinning deliberately. I mean, we still sin occasionally and accidentally, but not deliberately. Why? For God's Son holds them securely. And the devil, the evil one, cannot what? You know why I don't fear the devil? Because he has to ask God for permission. And if God gives him for whatever sovereign reason, gives him permission to touch my life, here's what I know. God knows and he's made a way for me to come out victorious. So not only is he who is with me greater than he who is against me, but he who is against me can't touch me because I am secured in God's hands. So if you are afraid that he's in your house or he rides with you in the backseat of your car, rebuke him. You have authority over him. And look at this. Look at this. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this. Because some of you tell me that you hear funny things in your house. Your TV turns on. You put something somewhere and then it disappears and you find it somewhere else. That you hear things in your mind. 
And we know that the enemy operates in this world. And yes, those things do happen and can happen. Okay? You're not crazy. You're not crazy. And we'll see that next week. But listen to me. As a believer, if that's happening in your house, here's what you need to know. John 3.8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they don't belong, that they belong to who? Ouch. Who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Would you bow your head with me? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.